downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Welcome to uh, Objection to the Rule. I'm Violet Barron, uh, here in the studio with hosts Ori and Rosie, and our guests Alana Levinson, and we also have a guest phoning in, um, Talia, uh, and um, this is uh, February, <laughs> Sunday, February 4th. Uh, welcome to Objection to the Rule. So today we have in the studio with us Solana Levinson from um, the activist group If Not Now. And we have on the phone uh, Talia from uh, Jewish Voice for Peace. Welcome, everyone. Hello. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Thank you. So uh, today we're, uh, this is part two of a uh, series on um, Israel, Palestine, and American connection with those politics. So uh, we're going to speak to uh, these two members of these groups and hear from them on uh, how uh, how Americans and American Jewish uh, politics are connected with Israel and Palestine. Um, uh, Talia and Alana, can can we start by hearing a little bit about your groups and uh, what what started them up and what's their strategy? Uh, we could start with you, Alana. Sure. Um, uh, so thank you so much for uh, for having me on. Um, uh, so like you said, my name is Alana Levinson. Um, I organize with the group If Not Now. Um, if Not Now is an American Jewish movement um, to end American Jewish support uh, for the occupation um, in uh, in Israel. So um, If Not Now started up uh, in uh, 2014 with Operation Protective Edge um, with American Jewish um, young activists uh, doing the Mourner's Kaddish. That's a, a Jewish um, a prayer service uh, to to mourn the dead. Um, doing that that uh, that service for both Israeli and Palestinian victims of that conflict. Um, so really, a way to push against the American Jewish establishment's uh, kind of hawkish response to that conflict, um, and um, and say enough of the occupation. Okay, can you just can we rewind a little bit? Oh uh, yeah, sure. And can you tell us? What is this occupation? What is this in, occupation? In a couple words. <laughs> in, the, in a couple words. Well, it's hard to do anything with Israel-Palestine in a couple words. Um, everyone defines things differently, and words mean a lot. Um, but I, um, you know, I'll, I'll give you my own personal um, view of the occupation, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I see the occupation as um, a separate legal system um, in, in the West Bank and Gaza. Um, the G- Gaza, some would say, is more of a siege. But anyway... Um, the, the occupation is a separate legal system for is, for Israelis and Palestinians, uh, wherein um, Palestinians do not get to vote. Um, they don't they don't have the same um, the same uh, access to natural resources. Um, they can't even you know b- 
build a, a balcony on their homes without um, a permit um, for from from Israel, um, without maybe having that home demolished. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, so that's that's what the occupation is for me. It's 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 Palestinians not having their own um, right to to self determination where they live. Okay, and what was Operation Protective Edge? Operation Protective Edge was um, a conflict between um, Hamas and Israel. Um, in in which um, many many Palestinians um, in 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 Gaza died and um, and uh, maybe Talia could help me out. I think it was okay. um, a number of Israelis died uh, as well. I think it was. Um, I'm I'm not sure the number. Talia, you might be able okay. to help me out here. Yeah, Talia, let's hear from you. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about JVP? Sure. Um, so. Uh, um, my name is Tali Bauer. Also, thank you so much for having me on. I am a member of the New York City chapter of Jewish Voice for Peace, which is a national member and chapter-based organization, um, basically working toward a just and lasting peace based on equal rights for all people in Palestine and Israel. So um, JVP started, It's the history is a little bit... Um, hazy because it's changed form and evolved in a lot of different ways, but it started in 1996 in the Bay Area as a small group of volunteers at UC Berkeley um, who decided they wanted to work on around this issue and then expanded and grew in the early 2000s. Um, around the time of the Second Intifada, I think um, it was about 2002 when this group of volunteers decided to fundraise and organize more broadly. Um, And I think JVP basically became, you know, a national organization somewhat as it is today in about 2009. Um, And, you know, like If Not Now, which cropped up, you know, around this time of this horrific assault on Gaza by the Israeli military, JVP has seen a ton of growth and change in reaction to Israeli acts of aggression. So there were major moments of growth um, in 2009 when there was Operation Cast Lead, another assault on Gaza, 2012 and 2014 with Operation Protective Edge. Cool. Um, So I'd like to hear a little bit more uh, from each of you about uh, the mission and the strategy of uh, your group. So um, Ilana, what, uh, what is If Not Now trying to do? Um, how is it reacting and how is it, uh, what's its main aim? Yeah, so If Not Now um, is, is a movement um, that, uh, that is attempting to, um, to uh, organize uh, folks who, who um, believe uh, that the American Jewish community should not be supporting um, the occupation, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, if not now's main strategy is to um, is to change public opinion and to to um, gather folks who feel this way and and to speak loudly um, that American Jews do not feel that endless occupation is the solution um, to to this conflict and that um, a just and lasting solution will not include um, an occupation. And how does it get that done? How does it get that message out? Um, by um, by garnering public opinion. By um, we have uh, trainings in which we um, which in, we invite people into this movement. We we share our principles and our story, um, and uh, we have public actions um, and campaigns. 
um, in order to send our message that um, the American Jewish community does not support the occupation. Cool. And uh, Talia, how about JVP? How does what? How does JVP make uh, make its mission known? Sure. So JVP works in a variety of different ways um, with various strategies, but um, there's also you know, under the mission of working towards this lasting peace, space, and justice and equal rights, there's a lot of different goals within that. So, you know, you kind of need a bunch of different strategies. Um, basically, we're working to pressure um, U.S. policy and lawmakers to change the approach to Israel, because at the current moment, the U.S. is a huge um, supporter, financial backer, of Israeli policy and Israeli oppression of Palestinians, um, as well as Jewish community transformation, similar to some of what If Not Now does. Um, you know, we also recognize the importance of shifting um, opinions in the Jewish community and making it very clear that being Jewish is not the same as supporting Israel in all that it does. And one major strategy that JVP is invested in is the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, which is a tactic um, that has been um, in response to a call put out by Palestinian civil society organizations in 2005. Um, and it's a tactic to put pressure on the Israeli government to change its policies, essentially. Um, so that has been a major um, focus of JVP's work since we officially endorsed BDS in 2015. And we currently have a campaign, a J uh, BDS campaign running called the Deadly Exchange Campaign, where we are working to end police exchange programs between the United States and Israel. Cool. Rosie, did you want to say something? No, it's just adjusting my mic. Okay. <laughs> I'm curious. Hi, this is Ori. I want to know more about that. You know, you talk about the BDS campaign and, and kind of the how that will support your your aims for creating a free and just society among both groups. Can you give a little bit more of explanation of what that means? What does BDS mean and what does it mean for what's currently happening in the region? Absolutely. Um, so... The BDS movement is, like I said, um, something that has been organized by a broad coalition of Palestinian groups on the ground. Um, and it's essentially, you know, it's a nonviolent tactic. Um, we know it works. It's been used in a variety of struggles against oppressive governments in the past all over the world. And so for JVP, um, supporting BDS is very natural because we define ourselves as in solidarity with Palestinians. And so that means, you know, we are accountable to Palestinian activists um, working towards their own liberation and self-determination. And so this was kind of a natural um, thing for JVP to get involved with. And what it basically means you know, in terms of its effects, is it's trying to, you know, get Israel to change what it's doing. And we know that it's actually working in a lot of ways. Um, 
there's been huge growing support for the movement. It actually, I believe a couple days ago, was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, And, you know, you might already know this, there's been actually a wave of anti-BDS legislation in the United States at the local, state, and national level. And that is, you know, extremely frightening to think about um, when you think about the chilling effect that could have on free speech because boycott is protected speech. Um, And, you know, the people who are most affected by those policies are Palestinians and Arab Americans. But we also know that this means that BDS is working. It's having an effect. It has power because, you know, there's um, this Gandhi quote that I love. uh, First, they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. And so that's, you know, BDS is a strategy that we're hoping will actually win. Cool. Um, I also wanted to know about membership. Who Who's a member of If Not Now and who's a member of JVP? Um, and what what kinds of points of view are included in these groups? Uh, um, Ilana, uh, we just were talking about BDS, which can be a sort of fiery issue um, yes, again. <laughs> in these communities. So uh, what's If Not Now's statement on BDS? And does its membership have a range of opinion? Yeah, um, so If Not Now... Um, if not now is a hub for for all American Jews who feel that the oh can you hear me now yes okay good um, so if not now is a hub for um, for American Jews with a range of opinions um, on all of these things on Zionism on statehood on on BDS um, it really it, it it brings together American Jews who feel strongly that that um, that the American Jewish community should not be supporting the occupation so we have um, we have members. We have members who are who are actually in JVP and you know who are also involved in J Street. Um, uh, you can see it as maybe more of an umbrella. Um, excuse me. Um, and um, and yeah, so so uh, one stance on BDS um, on statehood is not um, a determining factor about whether or not you can organize. You can you can go to a training with if not now. Um, you can uh, sign up for a training um, and if not for if not now and um, and then come organize with us. Cool. Um, and uh, Talia, is it a little different with JVP? Do you need to support uh, BDS personally, or is it also a range of ideologies within the group? There is a range of ideologies. Um, you know, they say two Jews, three opinions, or something like that. Um, <laughs> and I think within JVP, members have a variety of different, you know, opinions and approaches. Um, you do not need to have any particular political views to be a member. There's no litmus test. Um, we, you know, our members do, you know, we are doing a lot of work on BDS. So many, many, many members of JVP are very on board with BDS in particular. But really, the one, like, connecting factor for membership is that these are people who are wanting to work around these core values of peace and justice and equal rights and security and self-determination for all in the region. And that's kind of the core principles that we're working around. Um, sometimes it's uh, one Jew and three opinions, but I wanted to also, um, <laughs> I also wanted to ask about, uh, this is Rosie, um, and I wanted to ask you, uh, either of you, or both of you, um, what your experience has been on the ground, if either of you have been to Palestine and Israel, and what your experiences are before and after joining the organizations you're part of. Sure. Um, sure. Oh, Talia, you go first. 
Okay. Um, sure. <laughs> so I grew up um, going to Israel a lot. I have family there. Um, I grew up in a very Zionist community. And so I've been to Israel a number of times from like the age of one until uh, last time I was there, I guess I was 19. Um, and the most recent time I was there, which was a few years ago now, but um, at a point where I was already questioning, you know, the Zionist approach I grew up with, um, I did actually go into Palestine um, and did a tour of um, the town of Susia in the South Hebron Hills with a group called Breaking the Silence, which is um, former soldiers uh, in the IDF who are sharing back on the injustices that they were, you know, that they participated in um, and trying to educate about what goes on in Palestine and Israel. And also went into Hebron, which is extremely segregated. Um, and so that actually, <laughs> it's a great question, because that visit that day was an extremely important moment for me in kind of cementing what I already was starting to know, which was that what I was taught growing up was just not the full story. Cool. We've got about a minute left until we take a break. Uh, so, Alana, can we hear from you? Oh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll try and keep it short. Well, uh, Talia, I hope it's okay for, for me to connect our stories. Um, so yeah, Talia and I please. actually uh, grew up in, in around the same community um, and and had very similar educations. Um, so I also had a very um, pro-Israel Zionist background in the same city, um, the same city, uh, Hebron, Hebron, um, Chelil however you want to say it, um, whichever language, um, also really um, hit a nerve for me, um, seeing Palestinians and Israelis walk on different sides of the streets um, separated by by a barrier was just striking for me. Um, uh, so I, I ended up um, living in um, Ramallah for a month um, in order to see um, in order to see life there, and it was striking, and I also visited towns like Susia, and um, I actually ended up... Um, getting uh, kicked out and banned from Israel um, after that experience um, because I was very honest with Israeli border police about my activism there. Um, and that that was very telling for me, that experience. Um, and, and I came home and sought out, if not now, and sought out a way to, um, to be active around ending the occupation. Just really quickly, um, how were you treated when you stayed in Ramallah for a month? Uh, how was I treated by whom? <laughs> um, either party. Either group is well, so, so Ramallah is right. So Ramallah is 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 a is a Palestinian yeah. city, but uh, uh, wonderfully, I lived with um with an activist, um a well known activist, and I, I shadowed him and went to to meetings with um, in the Palestinian community. Yes, yeah, it was incredible. I I loved it. I loved um I loved uh I loved you know being in in Palestine, getting to know Palestinian culture. It was extremely welcoming. I mean, it was it was it was difficult to have my worldview challenged. Um. But that's that's an experience that a lot of Jewish people go through, and and I have to say, Palestinian people are very patient um, in in helping Jewish people go through that that difficult experience. Cool. All right, we've got to take a break. Sorry. Um. We'll go ahead, and I, I'm really interested about the idea of being kicked out of, <laughs> and banned from Israel. So while sure. we get ready for the break, I'd like to hear a little bit about that. Okay, um, so just uh, how much time do we have before this break? Keep talking. <laughs> we'll keep talking. Yeah, we'll, we'll okay. let you know. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, so you're interested in, in, in um, well, so um, 
I, I ended up um, kicked out might be a little bit of a misnomer. I, I, I ended up leaving um, leaving uh, Ramallah for a uh, weekend um, to go to Jordan where I had studied abroad to visit my host family and that kind of thing. And then I ended up um, coming back to what's uh, to, to the Allenby border crossing. It's a it's the a border crossing between Israel and um, and the West Bank. Um, and and they ended up asking me, like, what are you here for? Uh, why, you know, why, why are you trying to come uh, into Israel? Um, because Israeli border police control that um that crossing um and um yeah I, I just i was very honest with them and i i said look i'm staying here i'm volunteering with palestinian organizations i i'm uh, you know i'm i'm here trying to learn about palestine trying to learn about the palestinian communities and how they live um and uh and and there was a lot of skepticism um and uh there was a lot of questions like wait you're jewish and 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 you're living here in in ramallah why not go volunteer uh, over there? You know, pointing to some ambiguous direction that I suppose was Tel Aviv. <laughs> um, but, but you know, it was, it was this very critical, very skeptical idea that I was Jewish and exploring Palestinian lives, um, Palestinian uh, experiences. So, um, so they detained me for a couple hours and then, uh, and then they said something like, oh, you lied to us and, um, and you uh, don't have a volunteer visa to this day, I don't know what a volunteer visa is, but um, I don't know that it exists. Uh, maybe it does, but um, but there's a number of people like me who who are not allowed Israel who in Israel who have a um, red stamp in their passport and who are banned for a number of years be, because of what can only be explained as their politics. Mm. Can you uh, can you uh, first? I wanted to ask: Can you challenge the banning? And also, how were you treated by the? Because uh, there's settlers in in Ramallah. How were you treated by them? Settlers in Ramallah. I I I don't. Are you sure that there are settlers in Ramallah? Well, uh, we, no, we had a caller, one of the callers last week from Palestine, yeah. who was in Ramallah, said that there are settlers in, in Ramallah. Ramallah. Yes. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, Did you so I guess you didn't meet any. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have an experience with Israeli settlers in the West Bank? Um, Interactions in, with them? Yes. So yeah. before I, um, before I um, uh, was living with, with this, um, with this peace, Palestinian peace activist in Ramallah, um, I, I did a, um, a tour with a program called extend and, um, and we also, uh, toured with breaking the silence and, um, uh, and other, uh, organizations, um, uh, like youth against settlements, which is another great organization, um, uh, Palestinian organization. Um, and we also met with, um, with Israeli settlers. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was really interesting. And, and I have to say, like, for me, it's easy to humanize everyone. And, and I know that that's, that might be a challenging idea, but I actually don't think it's on Israeli settlers to be responsible for long ranging political outcomes. I think it's on the leadership to understand the implications of settling Israeli populations in the West Bank and, and what that means for Palestinian national aspirations. I, I understand that there's a range of, of, of ideas and reasons why, why Jewish people, why Muslim people, why Palestinian people might want to live and have connections in certain lands. And, and I think that it's just, it's, it's the responsibility of a government that has the monopoly on power and policy to, um, to say, no, these are the implications of settling our populations against international law in the West Bank and what that means for a, a, any future solution and trust. What, so what's the, what's the human settler argument? What, what is the settler feeling like that you can understand? What's the settler feeling like that I can understand? 
Well, I, I, I can very much understand Zionism. I grew up with Zionism. I understand, you know, um, I don't think that there's one settler. Um, there's, I think that there's, there, there's not a monolithic settler um, ideology. And actually, lots of set settlers are economically motivated um, by subsidies. By um, the government. Yes, yes, by the Israeli government to live in the West Bank. And there are many um, religiously motivated um, Israeli settlers, too, mm -hmm. of course. Um, and, and it's the idea that this is our land. This is our biblical land. We should live here. And, you know, and and we should be, you know, we are, you know, it's it's billed as this Jewish liberation movement. So we should be able to to settle and and live here and be free in our land. And it's frankly, it's not on them to understand international law. And maybe they should. And, um, you know, I, I would prefer that they did. But um, I, I understand wanting to have um national liberation and um and and wanting to live wherever you want to live but if that means that you have your civil rights in israel and palestinians have no rights in any land that just is not a, a situation that can be sustainable that can lead to any kind of peaceful trusting existence mm -hmm. it's so interesting how these discussions whether no matter what groups you put in as the majority or the minority group or the controlling group and the you know the oppressed group these themes are very similar and we talk about these themes in the course of america with black lives matter and with oppressed people here and these themes exist all over the world um so this is an interesting conversation that we're going to continue we're also going to talk about how american groups play into not only the politics in israel but as well as how the educational system of American Jewish people plays into how these discussions go out. You're listening to Objection to the Rule coming up next. We're going to listen to some music from one of the bands that's going to be playing at our March 1st. RFB presents First Thursdays at the Well. It's a band that we love very much, Dietra. They actually do our theme song called Generation. So you're going to hear a little bit of music from them. We'll be right back in just a moment right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. I live it up tonight. So damn your stereotypes. High heels do my body right. So come on. I'm just having fun Doing what I want to do Not gonna take no shit from you So come on Well everyone's around Just spinning round in circles I'll take it to a land Where only few dare to go Step into paradise Taking a sip I'll make it feel real nice Whoa Turn me up Turn me up and move I'll treat you to the sights Come into the A thing for a little androgyny, for a little taste of he and she. So come on, Ooh. you wanna feel this high? You wanna taste of this prototype? Saddle up, cause it's a wild ride. So come on, well, everyone's around and spinning round in circles. I'll take it to all.
everything you see Take like a button by heart to find an exorcist If you come around then you have come to play You'll never find no one like me You'll never want to leave Step into paradise Take in the sip, I'll make you feel real nice Whoa, turn me off, turn me off and
Yeah, this is Violet Barron, and you're listening to Objection to the Rule. Uh, we're uh, live with guests Alana Levinson from JV, from uh, If Not Now, excuse me, and uh, Talia Barr from JVP. Um, and this segment, we're going to talk about the American Jewish connection, how American Jewish politics and American politics play a role uh, in Israeli and Palestinian politics. Um, so first, I'd like to talk about what the attitude is towards Israel among mainstream American Jewish communities. Um, I think you you guys have both mentioned that you grew up in uh, in you know, typical American Jewish communities. So I'm curious, what's Israel education like when you go to uh, synagogue or Jewish day school or Jewish summer camp? What do you learn about Israel? Ooh. Um, Talia, do you want to maybe start out? Do we have Talia? Zalana said... Um, you know, we actually grew up in some of the same communities, um, and so we've known each other since high school. Um, but if you go to um, synagogue, Jewish day school, Jewish summer camp, Jewish youth group, all of which I believe we both did, um, you get a very particular worldview. I will say there's definitely, you know, there is variation, um, and things have changed in a couple different ways over time, I think, but for the most part, you get kind of blanket support for Israel, um, a very specific set of narratives that are completely rooted in a Zionist worldview. Um, there may be some allowance for the liberal Zionist, um, like, kind of gentle critiques, um, Maybe, maybe there's a little talk of the occupation if someone's pushing the, um, pushing the envelope, but that was not what I grew up with. There was, I think, actually no talk of the occupation. So, um, we never talked about Palestinians lived reality. We never talked about, um, the dispossession of Palestinian people, the ethnic cleansing of Palestinian people. None of that, of course, um, completely, completely Zionist approach. I don't know if I'm missing anything, Alana, that you want to add. Sounds right to me. I mean, I, I, I went to your summer camp. We had, you know, Israel Day where we, you know, had to, we had, we, we had a mock Israeli boot camp day. You know, we, we were um, acted like Israeli soldiers in, in, in IDF, uh, Israel Defense Forces boot camp. Like, it's just everything that Talia said is, is just, it was true for me too. It was a very universal experience from, from my end. And how old were you when you did the mock boot camp? How old was I when it? Approximately. Um, I think this was for every, um, divisions are called a dot um, at camp, a da. So my, I think it was every a da that like did, did this. this um, did so what would do, like, what's the age range? Fourth grade 10th grade. I, I started camp when I was 10. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that I did it then. <laughs> um, okay, so... What is Israel and Zionism in these perspectives? You don't have any other information about Palestinians or the occupation. What are you taught about Israel? What What is this place in these scenarios? It is a beautiful homeland for us um, that we, you know, that, that our people, that Jewish people return to after 2,000 years of exile, um, and the international community rallied behind the Jews because um, after the Holocaust, it was clear that the Jews needed a homeland, and often 
we were told that it was a land without a people for a people without a land. So literally no recognition whatsoever of the fact that there were people living in that land who were expelled from their homes in 1948. And why would why would this be important to the Jewish people if, you know, you're living in America, you don't have that much connection with Israel on a day to day basis? Why does it matter to you, this idea of a homeland? Why should it matter? Um, for, for me, it was billed as, as, as a Jewish liberation movement. I mean, you can, you can understand that, um, you know, after the Holocaust, after mass genocide, um, Jews would want to have a place that would always, they were, where they would always find refuge. Um, and, um, and so the idea of having a Jewish homeland, um, I think, makes, um, makes a lot of sense. But, it, you know, it, what, it, what it didn't deal with, as Tali said, a, 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 um, a land without a people for a people without a land was that people already lived there. So it did not reconcile, it does not reconcile the fact that, that um, historic Palestine already had um, inhabitants. Um, so, so yeah, so it was, it was built as, as a, as a refuge, as Jewish liberation um, for, for a, a democratic liberal state mm-hmm. um, uh, for all of its inhabitants. Um, but all of its inhabitants um, as, as um, when Jewish migration started to happen on mass was not, we're not Jewish. So, okay. So, so if you didn't have this background before you were told about all this, do you think this has resonance, this idea of a homeland, that that's the main thing people are uniting around in the Jewish community without this nuanced perspective? Or I, I think, think there's a... Maven. Go ahead, Talia. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> All you. Um, I think there's a lot of different... A lot of different ways that this is viewed in the American Jewish community, a lot of different ways that people are taught to think of it in order to maintain you know, Israel as, as is, um, with the Jewish majority and, you know, um, and the, everything set up as it is now. I think part of it is, um, you know, we're being taught this narrative of the homeland and the haven, um, and there's a lot of focus on anti-Semitism. And so what I was kind of taught was, um, you know, anti-Semitism was not something I encountered much growing up at all. Um, it's not worked into American policy the way that, you know, anti-black racism is or other types of oppression are. And But what I was told was anti-Semitism can resurge at any moment and we need to have a place where we can be safe. Um, my parents... Actually, I had a difficult conversation with them at one point where they said, well, if there's no Israel, where might you feel safe? And I said, I feel safe in the United States. This is where you chose to raise me. And there's a disconnect there, I think, for a lot of people. There's this question of how do we keep our community safe? And actually what is being taught is that Zionism and Judaism are the same thing. And so if not now in JVP are actually very much challenging that entire narrative that our community has many viewpoints, sure, but also that criticizing Israel is not what anti-Semitism is. And if we're going to address that, you know, whatever threats there may be to the Jewish community, we need to stop conflating Zionism and Judaism. Yeah, and also, um, you know, I think your, your question is interesting because it sounds like what you're saying is, does that resonate with people? Like, does that resonate the mm-hmm. idea of a Jewish-only mm-hmm. homeland? And I think, like, I think the answer is actually, like, 
for for people and for younger Jews, like no, it actually doesn't. Like I I, mm-hmm. I also like feel safe in America, and I and and I also have complicated feelings about rising anti-Semitism, but but I feel safe and I want to feel safe in in, in America. Um and and the need for a Jewish homeland it, it doesn't actually resonate with me that much. Um, I want to create a, a safe and strong Jewish community here in America, and um, and so there's a concerted effort on the part of the Jewish community to to say, wait, no, you're actually like you actually do need <laughs> like a, a, a Jewish mm-hmm. um, a Jewish national homeland in in Israel. Here's why it's necessary. Here's all the external threats to Israel and and to Jews, um, and and here's why it's totally necessary to support Israel and all of its policies. Um, and that's part of of um, like Talia said, part of what, what we're pushing back on is that, um, you know, maybe, you know, if, if protecting Israel is, is everything that we need to do in order to be safe, maybe we should focus on, on combating anti-Semitism and real anti-Semitism, not just anti-Israel sentiments here at home. Right. Yeah. So, and I'll also, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry, just real quick. I also want to add actually that, um, the most crucial thing for me when that conversation is happening is that not only do, you know, are Jews living safely in many parts of the world that aren't Israel, but also no one is safer. I I cannot feel safer in a world with increased militarism, increased racism, increased violence. And that is what's happening in Israel and in Palestine. And even if that were, even if I did believe that that could create safety, which I do not. There's no safety for some at the expense of safety for others. We need to build safety through solidarity and through, you know, justice, equal rights, et cetera. So that is always kind of the bottom line of those conversations for me. So your groups are both pushing back against that narrative of Israel as the safe haven. What's the reaction? What's the American Jewish community's reaction to these actions and to these projects? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, these these young Jews have no idea what it's like to live in a post-Holocaust world. That's that's the reaction that I tend to hear. Uh-huh. And um, uh, Talia, you were saying that there's been or there is a general strong reaction. Can you say more about that? Sure. I mean... Yeah, for JVP, it's a little different because um, we are intergenerational, so we don't get the, sometimes we get the, these young Jews don't know, you know, what they're talking about. But, um, you know, it's tough. The, there's a lot of pushback. Um, Jewish Voice for Peace is not necessarily a very welcome group in a lot of Jewish community spaces, and part of that is, you know, we are working in solidarity with Palestinians. We're taking the lead from Palestinian activists. And so that means that a lot of the things that we are working towards and a lot of the things we're talking about are things that are just fully not palatable to a lot of mainstream Jewish institutions. Um, so, you know, the the reactions are varied, but there's a lot of really intense pushback and, you know, non-acceptance of what we've got to say. And what does that look like uh, in practice? Like, uh, Ilana, I know JVP's strategies are often actions in uh, American Jewish centers, like Jewish... It's not now. 
excuse me. That's uh, okay. <laughs> in uh, like uh, Jewish federations and um, and other sort of headquarters of mainstream American Jewish community. So what what are those administrations? What's the reaction look like? Um, hmm. I'm trying to think of specific actions, and um, I guess. What, what's the reaction to the message of the action or what's the reaction to the action itself? Because those oh, are very different. Yeah, that's a good those point. Those can be very different. Like To the message of the action, when you're directly challenging establishment figures, what are they saying? A lot of the times I'll hear like, what are you talking about? Like, we're in this too. Like, you know, if you would only come and, and, and talk to us and, um, and, and have meetings with us, you'd see that we're on your side too. Mm-hmm. And, and we see time and time again that, like, you know, these closed-door meetings happen and, and maybe, you know, there's a, an attempt to, to, of appeasement and, and nothing actually happens um, in terms of, of real programmatic shifts and real and shifts in the narrative to include Palestinian voices. Um, and so they'll pay lip service to, um, to a, a just two-state solution, but there's never any attempt to actually introduce... Uh, a Palestinian um, book, you know, in, in Jewish Hebrew schools and um, in, in Jewish schools and in, in Hebrew schools and camps, there's never there's never any actual like concrete shift. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Talia, do you find that too, or is your experience different? Um, I find I think that um, this tends to be like kind of in the a, a signifier of the difference between um, how it's not now and JVP operate. Um, I think we are often less likely to get a meeting or, uh, you know, like kind of that false reconciliatory <laughs> um, approach of just, you know, just come back to us and we'll, you know, we actually are working on this when they are not. Um, it's more, um, more often, though not always, we're, no, we're not going to talk to you. Um, I, you know, one example that a friend used really recently uh, as that kind of distinction is that, um, for example, Jewish Voice for Peace uh, student activists, college student activists, are leading a campaign to boycott birthright trips, and if not now, is also doing birthright-related work. If not now, meets groups in the airport, and Alana, you can correct me if I'm wrong about the, the, the specific um, work that's happening. They'll meet groups at the airport with information about the occupation, information about who to talk to while you're on the trip to learn more about the story you're not going to be told. And both of those are so crucial, um, but it's just a different way of getting at the same issue. And I think that's what we see in the reaction, too, is that it's one, one can be, you know, one they can attempt to work around in that in the birthright um, administration or whoever else is being targeted is being focused on, and the other will be either ignored or um, vilified. Well, um, I was wondering um, with all of this happening, and it's and it's coming to this almost this collision course. Um, I want my question is two part: Where is this all going to go? And especially now with the with the U.S. recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, and what what are what's going to happen after this, and 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 what has been the sentiment around sentiment around this? 
All right. Around Jerusalem specifically. Jerusalem. I mean, the thing is, is that this is quickly coming to a head. And and right. and in a way, it almost is, is, is exacerbating uh, mm-hmm. the situation now that Jerusalem has been recognized by the United States as the capital. I, I think Jerusalem is an interesting um, kind of um, juncture because on one hand, there's, you know, there's there's a, um, a perspective that what well, this is just a recognition of what's real. Like Jerusalem is the um, is the capital of Israel, but what that ignores is is the um, is the tension between national aspirations for both Israelis, um, for both Jews and, and Israelis and Palestinians, who both see Jerusalem as their um, the capital of their future national homeland. Now Israel already exists and and calls um, Jerusalem its capital, but you know, the, the rest of the international community accepts Jerusalem as a final status issue. Um, so, um, meaning what? Uh, meaning what? Yeah. Good, good question. <laughs> um, so, so we, we, we haven't come to a, any kind of, um, final solution to this conflict, right? So, so Jerusalem is a real hot button issue. Um, both, both sides of this conflict really hold Jerusalem dear. And, um, and while there's no, end in sight um, for this brutal conflict and this occupation, um, the, the, who, who at least claim to Jerusalem, um, whether, the, whether a unified Jerusalem or East and West Jerusalem, um, it, it's, it, it cannot be. One, one country cannot say who has access to, who, who, is, who owns Jerusalem. Um, and um, and America, you know, is supposed to be an honest broker in the end um, between uh, Israel and Palestine um, in, in what's supposed to be a two-state solution that is slowly dwindling and I might ar- I would argue is already dead, um, a two-state solution. But, um, but America, um, in, one, um, in one fell swoop, gave away Jerusalem without getting anything in return um, and what that would signal to Palestinians is that America has no has no interest in in realizing the Palestinian asp- national aspirations, and and so um, this this should be alarming to to everyone. This should be alarming, especially to Israelis, who who, who it should signify that that Palestinians um, might give up on their national rights and say, okay, no Palestine, so give us our civil rights, and and that that is an end to a Jewish and democratic state. And there can't be um, a, a Jewish and democratic state um, where Palestinians have no vote and have no civil rights. Um, so, so Jerusalem, while somewhat symbolic, could have very concrete and real implications. I'm curious if both of you or either of you think that they're, you know, considering that the decision happened under this administration and previous administrations have not chosen to make this acknowledgement, what do you think is, is there any reasoning that you can see? Is there any, you know, kind of understanding on the ground of why now? It's, it's about um, domestic politics. <laughs> why now? Yeah. <laughs> Trump wants to keep some promises in order to avoid um, the the idea that that he, his presidency is is a completely he's a completely incompetent leader. Um, so he said he would move the, the the embassy to Jerusalem. So many before him have made that campaign promise, and their 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 advisors have said, "Here's why you can't do that," and they inevitably don't. And Trump is not interested in long term um, disastrous um, 
implications um, of, of, of his moves. He, he's just interested in um, looking good on his face and, and saying he fulfilled some promises. It's also, you know, very emblematic of this. Um, like Netanyahu and Trump are both really, you know, awful <laughs> racist leaders who are doing all sorts of horrifying illegal things um, and enacting state violence in an, in many, many ways. And it's, it is flying in the face of, you know, decades of official U.S. policy not to recognize sovereignty of any one country over Jerusalem until Palestine and Israel, you know, Palestinians and Israelis reach an agreement together. Um, and so it is, it is new in that way. Um, and it's also within a context of the United States supporting and funding um, Israeli dispossession and ethnic cleansing of the Palestinian population. And so it's, it's kind of, right, like Alana said, the nail in the coffin of the two-state solution, quite probably. Um, it's also meant that on the ground we're seeing patterns continue of any time there's unrest, any time that there's a new, uh, you know, focal point of conflict and further, um, like, violence, we see an intense military crackdown on Palestinian population. And so it it's new and it's also some of the same stuff. So if this move makes... Uh it much harder for a Jewish democratic state. Does that mean that the two-state solution where there continues to be Jewish ethno-state Israel and uh, uh, autonomous state for the Palestinians, Palestine, is that off the table now? Are we looking at a different solution? I think, I always think the, the solution question is an interesting one because we're so far from a solution. We're so far from any solution. I mean, at this point, there's there's no political leaders that's willing to do the, you know, the, the brave work in order to instill some kind of trust in their people. Um, so, you know, right now there is fear mongering and, um, you know, and, and racism that, um, that's used as cover, um, for, for, um, for oppressive policies. And, you know, that, that's, that's a very easy and um, cowardly thing to do on the part of a, pol- pol- uh, a, um, a politician. There, there's no difficult work to be done that says, "Hey, if we're gonna make, if we're gonna make this work in the long term, if we're gonna end the bloodshed, we need to make some difficult, we're gonna make some difficult choices, and we're gonna have to make sacrifices." And and that's just not happening. Um, and so, before we can talk about any solution, we have to talk about what what's necessary. Um, on the part of, of, of real leadership to, to make any solution possible on the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, I agree. The, the conversation about solutions seems just sometimes goes in directions that are not necessarily the most useful or, you know, I think that part of the reason we see this conflict continuing is that if you look at the situation on the ground right now, there are no equal rights. Palestinians are not being granted basic human rights, and we don't see any effort on the part of the Israeli government to change that, and we don't see any reason that they would want to, because 
you know, as far as I know, this conflict can't end while the U.S. continues to unilaterally support Israeli policies and practices. And, you know, it's it's all kind of maintaining the status quo or it's getting worse. You know, if you look at the continuing blockade on Gaza and the amount of Jewish Israeli settlers continuing to move into the West Bank and, you know, and all other indicators of this situation getting worse. Um, if there's no incentive for Israel to change their behavior, if they're not being held accountable, which they're not because the, you know, our, the United States government is protecting them at the UN and funding their practices, this can't change. I think at the end of the day, it is not for Americans and not for American Jews to decide the solution. It's up to us to apply pressure and it's up to Palestinians and Israelis living there to actually resolve the issues as long as it's based in human rights for all and justice. Amen. Oh, <laughs> That's great. Um, it got a little rambly there. Yeah, no, no. So make it a little Jewish at the end, too. Right. <laughs> so we're, we're about out of time now, but I'd like to hear how we can learn more about each of your groups. How can we get in touch and how can interested listeners uh, get involved if they want to? Um, sure. Well, so... In, in nationally or specifically in New York? I mean, if we're talking local. Um, let's start with local. Okay. So, um, well, the Jewish Voice for Peace New York City chapter, which I am an enthusiastic member of, um, has, we actually have a website now, um, which I will double check, I believe is just jvpnyc.org. And there's information there about our work and all the many, many things that are going on in the chapter um, a bunch of resources, and of course, information for how to contact us. There are a million different ways to be involved. Um, there's new member orientations and chapter meetings every month, along with all sorts of other working groups operating. So absolutely, if listeners are interested, please, cool. please get in touch and join us. And uh, Lana? Yeah, so, uh, and if not now, you can go to ifnotnowmovement.org. Uh, dot, uh, I'm sorry, ifnotnowmovement.org in order to sign up for a training. Um and yeah, anyone can can come and sign up for a training. And I, I and you have a podcast. Yeah, I just real quick, I want to plug our mm-hmm. podcast. Um, so this is not affiliated with, if not now, it's an independent project. Um, but please listen to Unsettled Podcast. We're on iTunes, Overcast, wherever you you want to get your podcast for Great. facilitating the difficult conversations. All right, thank you guys so much. Thanks for uh, coming thank on you. the show. Thank you. We'll see you next week. And objection to the rule. Have a great one.